In this interview, I asked five Christians the same two questions. The first is about guilt and self-judgment, and the second is about trying to develop a personal relationship with God, in their case, Jesus. And I have recorded this intro so many times, trying not to make the sound when I say Jesus. but I obviously can't. If you like this, you can find more interviews along with recipes and artwork at caferibbit.com. Like a frog. (coughs) When you feel guilt, do you have trouble knowing if Jesus is judging you or you're judging yourself? I'm not sure if I struggle with self-judgment, but it all depends on what you mean by the word judgment. Um, So I I actually think that the word judge has got two senses, and we have to be careful which one we're using. So for instance, there is the understanding of judge, which means to look condescendingly on someone else, to look down, right? But then there's the other sense of judge as in to assess something. Like you judge whether or not it's time to go buy more milk, right? You may not use that word, but it's the the word for assess. So I feel as though um, over time, I've gotten better at doing self-assessment, but not self-condescension, if that makes sense. And um, as I've grown to understand the person of Jesus, I actually think Jesus is always in favor of self-assessment, but not self-condescension. Um, but that, that might be a maturity thing, too. You know, We tend to think God thinks like how we do. And so if we're self-judgmental, we're, we're going to assume that God is as well. So I think I maybe had some early moments of that, but honestly, I was raised in a Lutheran church, which was reacting to the Catholic church of the 1500s, which was very judgmental. So Lutheranism has got its roots in me that says whenever you start giving into self-condescension or self-condemnation, you've actually, you're not really listening to God anymore. So in the moments when it is unclear, how do you distinguish it? I think, I think I have two answers. One, I, um, there's this writer named Julian of Norwich. She was a, a female mystic in, uh, I think Northern England, um, just outside of London to the Northeast, I think. And she wrote about how she had a vision of Jesus that was really interesting. And that in this vision, in this dream, she saw Jesus and he said, Hey, look closely. And he opens up the wound in his chest and he says, take a look inside. And it's inferring that she's looking at the heart of Jesus or into the heart of Jesus. And as she looks in, she says, my God, there's enough room for everyone in here. And then, and then Jesus also replies, uh, correct, essentially. And then it might be in the next reflection after that it says, and neither is there any desire to shame, blame, scapegoat or condemn within this heart but only to heal 
and to redeem and to mend. And that that's like absolutely beautiful to me. That to me, my understanding is that the heart of Jesus has always been about um, inclusion and mending what's broken, uh, redeeming, fixing, taking two things that are apart and bringing them back together. But I, something's gone wrong if we think that in the heart of Jesus, that Jesus has any inclination to shame or to blame or to cast out. Um, as soon as we start feeling in that direction, then we're we're no longer dealing with uh, the Christ. But then the second thing, uh, there's this really great book called The Spirit of Life by Jürgen Moltmann. He was a, a German theologian, and he was also a POW prisoner during World War II. Um, but in this book called Spirit of Life, he talks about how whenever you are being invited into greater uh, thriving, that is the spirit of God. And so then anything that pulls you away from thriving is actually contrary to the spirit of God. And so with that first story of Julian of Norwich, having an insight to the heart of Jesus, and then this other one about Holy spirit is always inviting us to further thriving. Um, I think those two things are my metric. Those two things help to guide me. It's like, okay, am I thinking about Jesus correctly? And I'm, am I actually thinking in a way that promotes my thriving? Or am I thinking and acting in particular ways that move away from my thriving? Which also includes the thriving of other people. When you feel guilt, do you have trouble knowing if Jesus is judging you or you're judging yourself? Oh, no, I'm, I'm sure I'm judging myself. And worrying about other people judging me, <laughs> but I don't worry about I don't worry about Jesus judging me, because my understanding is that Jesus died for me. Um, he didn't come to judge me, but to save me, to make give me life, you know, abundant life now and in eternity. Um, and that means, in my mind, that means he's not judging me. When you feel guilt. Do you have trouble knowing if Jesus is judging you or you're judging yourself? Mm. Good question. I would say it's a growing process to learn to um, distinguish the voice of your conscience when your conscience is informed by things that may be more reflective of your upbringing or certain teaching or values that's not necessarily um, faith-based. So I find that um, there's a verse in Romans 12 where Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, Christian life, the faith journey, is a continual process of having our mind renewed. And part of that is a growing understanding um, of what is real guilt, things that I need to turn to God for and ask for forgiveness, and perhaps things that um, 
are just my own understanding um, that don't reflect something that has gone against God's will or where I've omitted something that God wanted me to do. The Lord is for us, not against us, and it doesn't mean that the Lord won't identify things inside of us that need to be addressed, that need to be changed. Um, but when the Lord does that, there's always hope involved. It's never, we're never left in the darkness and hopelessness of our sin and our guilt. Uh, we're never left at a dead end. Um, there is always uh, the word of grace. And if there's no word of grace, then that's one of the ways I know it's not the Lord. Um, guilt is a reality. If we didn't experience guilt, it would mean, you know, we didn't have a moral conscience. Um, we weren't seeking to live a godly life. Um, but once we're aware that we have fallen short, um, there is always a solace and a consolation and a remedy in Christ. Um, and because of what Christ has done on the cross, which is a reflection or expression of God's love for us. For me, I mean, uh, even the very day that I became a Christian, um, the Methodist pastor that I met with for like three hours, um, he, you know, he told me, uh, You've put your, your life into the hands of God. You've given yourself to Jesus. You've asked him to be your Savior, and now you are, you are forgiven. And are there, are there any people that you need to forgive now? You know, and he was really teaching that there's an inseparable connection between the vertical and the horizontal dimension, that what we have received from God, uh, we are then called to share or extend to others. So it was interesting. The first person I thought of that I needed to forgive was myself. And I actually did that formally um, in a prayer. And and then it was my dad, um, because I think some of the, um, probably some of the perfectionism that I had and being a harsh critic of myself came from internalizing what I felt at points was a lack of acceptance um, in my years of growing up. Nothing abusive, but just like, hmm, not quite good enough. When you feel guilt, do you have trouble knowing if Jesus is judging you or you're judging yourself? Um, I would say that yeah, it it does happen. It does happen. I do have, uh, you know, I do feel like sometimes that I'm I'm more so judging me than Jesus. Though so. I get frustrated with myself when you know, especially if there are things that are, that are recurring, you know, and things that you know, oh no, I I know, I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming, right? Um, and that those are times when I feel I, I felt, you know, more guilty. And, uh, you know, kind of beat myself up about it. But as, you know, now rarely do I feel like, you know, Jesus is is uh, is having a problem with me. Mm -hmm. 
What do you think caused that confusion earlier on, your perception of Jesus? Uh, I think it has a lot to do with, uh, with, with how I was raised and uh, ra- being raised in, in a Pentecostal church um, from, a, from a very young age where uh, guilt guilt was a big uh, a big way to kind of get just to, to kind of conform and to uh, to feel like you know there was a lot of condemnation and feeling like you know there's you know you're hell bound if you don't if you don't do this or you don't wear the right thing or you don't say the right thing or you go to the wrong place or you, you know that kind of thing when you feel guilt do you have trouble knowing if Jesus is judging you or you're judging yourself? Um, <clears throat> no. I mean, I sort of think about, I mean, I think about like we have a conscience um, and I, I've done a lot of work like as a social worker. I, I really like the work of Brene Brown. Um, she talks about like shame versus guilt. Um, and I think in the church, a lot of like what people say is guilt is really shame that's connected to like spirituality and like, yeah, what the, like the, what the church has said, um, that we're supposed to do or should be doing. And like anytime those sorts of phrases like should or supposed to or like get into your vocabulary, it's usually a sign of, um, like external, pressure and shame um but I would see guilt as more like when you do something wrong and you hurt somebody and your conscience tells you that like that that wasn't loving or kind or like good you know then then you experience guilt and it's more of that like conviction but I would see that as being more like internal based on like your internal code I guess yeah I mean I think like your your faith and your family and values shape that, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't I I don't think I think about it as being like Jesus being upset at me or anything. In my generation, the big pressure was um, Joshua Harris. He was like a homeschool kid who had never dated, and he wrote this book, "I Kissed Dating Goodbye." And it was like this super evangelical book about like, you don't date people, you court people and you marry them. And, and so that was like sort of this like pressure culture of like, um, yeah, sexuality in the, in the church, which was like a big legalistic thing when I was in, in youth group. And I mean, I think the other thing was, um, there was also this group called Tuesday night Bible study that was like this big, mega church and it was like super charismatic and there was like speaking in tongues and all of this like super intense spirituality when I was in high school and it really affected like our generation and I just never connected with it I mean I would go because my friends were, were there um but I've just never had that kind of spirituality but in high school I didn't really feel like oh yeah that's that's fine, you know, because you're insecure in high school. So I was like, oh, I need to be more spiritual. So I would like raise my hands for the church like songs because like that's what you're supposed to do. Um, 
but over time as I grew up, I like seeing the people that were in leadership in that, like there's been lots of breaches of leadership and trust and like abuses of power. And so like looking back, I can see that like, yeah, that was like this huge, powerful, legalistic sort of force in our, in our generation. And I'm really glad that I sort of didn't get sucked in. At the moment, what do you think Jesus would say is strengthening your relationship with him and what is weakening it? Wow. That's awesome. Um, what is strengthening my relationship right now is probably giving up an ego as much as possible. Um, not just self-importance, but I mean, we all have this insistence that like my personality needs to survive. Survive Um, in what way? Well, um, ego sometimes is understood as like, you want to have greater status, but I'm using ego in the sense of who I am, not just, uh, what my status is. And I feel like one of the best things that all of us can do is give up our own love affair with our own personality. Like let, let your personality have some malleability, let it be molded a bit. Um, if all we ever do is have the same personality from five to when we're 85, um, I'm not sure if we've really grown. So I actually think that one of the best things that I'm doing is, trying my goodness trying to have less and less of an ego to try to understand someone else's personality and also not blame someone for having their personality sometimes we uh fail to show compassion to other people because we're like well that's not my personality it's like yeah but their life experiences may have led them to this so shut up and have some compassion so i would probably say that's one of the ways i'm trying to grow or that jesus would say i'm growing Give up, give up defending yourself and let yourself change. That's an important thing. But as towards what's keeping me from growing, (laughs) oh goodness, probably what's obscuring me having a better relationship is me looking for the Christ in books rather than in people. Um, I think that Ever since the the Enlightenment and the Protestant Reformation, we've been so word centric. We've we've organized our our lives around words and books and information rather than around people. And I'll probably say that the mystery of Christmas, which is this time of year, the incarnation, is that the word became flesh. And yet here are so many of us in church cultures that think all right, if I want to get to know Jesus, I have to read words. Whereas maybe if you want to get to know Jesus, you should really start loving people. So I would probably say that uh, one of my challenges is to put down the books and to pick up loving other people more. At the moment, what do you think Jesus would say is strengthening your relationship with him and what is weakening it? Um, strengthening would be definitely 
just remembering the Lord, just remembering him that, that he's here and sharing my moments, you know, I mean, my existence with him and recognizing his presence. And, you know, I find that so strengthening because um, I am reminded that I am not alone. I'm a single person. You know, I've always been a single person. Once upon a time, I was a kid and I had a family. <laughs> but I, I, I remember when God called me to seminary and I said to my, my dad, Dad, I, I, I know God's calling me to seminary, but he'll never call me to be a pastor because he would never call me to be a pastor all by myself. And I still remember the sound in my dad's voice when he said, you've never been alone. What makes you think God would leave you alone now? And it just stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, you're absolutely right. (laughs) I'm thinking humanly, you know, because my parents were a team in ministry. Even though my dad was the pastor, they were a team. And I watched that and I thought, wow, how could anyone ever do this, quote unquote, alone? (laughs) Um, And I have found that true. And as I remember um, and, and welcome the Lord into, you know, whatever's going on at any given moment. You know, he's the first one to say hi to in the morning. I wake up and say, good morning, Lord. This is your day. I'm your child. Show me your way. And then I pray the same thing for everybody. We're your, we're your people. Show us your way. And um, thinking probably primarily of the church, you know, the church family that I helped to shepherd. Um, But also just we, uh, all of us. And, um, and then um, I also have a, I have a little flip thing with just scripture verses, no commentary, because I find those little commentary things sometimes to be a little bit like daggy. And, uh, and I read a scripture verse for each day. And then I, you know, try to keep it in my pocket, so to speak, to remember through the day. And sometimes it's really on target. And sometimes it's just nice. (laughs) Um, But I find that, you know, I, I talk with the Lord, just kind of like not, oh, now I'm going to pray. It's kind of like a running conversation in my head. And um, sometimes I'll, I'll pray out loud. But just remembering his presence. Well, you wanted to know what takes away from my relationship when I forget. (laughs) When I forget I'm not God, when I forget God, I start trying to take everything into my own, you know, my own puny mind and power. And I find that I get stressed out. I get scared. And I, and I usually mess up, (laughs) but even when I don't mess up, whatever I do, it's never as good as what could have happened. And I only know that afterward, sometimes in the, in the moment, but afterward. What's an example of when you're acting like God? Like that? Oh, I can give you one. When I have someone who's in crisis um, that I'm working with here at church and they and they just are a screaming ball of need and I want to fix it. And it's not mine to fix. 
I'm, I'm my, it's my, my job to be with them and to point them not only to God, but to whatever or whomever else they need. That might be a therapeutic person. It might be, um, it might be the need to say, I'm sorry to someone and they're not willing, you know, I mean, they're, there are all kinds of things that it might be, but when I try to fix something that's not mine to fix, oh my goodness, it takes such a toll on me. And when I remember, oh, wait a minute, I'm not God. Only God can fix this one. And it's between God and this person and this person and whatever and um, whatever and whomever God um, provides who are going to walk with this person into a better place. And that's the most common place where I'm tempted to forget. And it's, it really is, it's exhausting. At the moment, what do you think Jesus would say is strengthening your relationship with him? And what is weakening it? Hmm, great question. So I think what is uh, strengthening it I'm going to believe that, um, you know, some of the, some of the losses and things that are, are not the same during the pandemic are actually opportunities, um, you know, to be strengthened in my relationship with Jesus. Uh, there's a verse that says we walk by faith, not by sight. So quite honestly, to do, um, services, um, for six months where I'd literally go into an empty sanctuary on a Friday afternoon and preach into a camera <clears throat> was there, but his head was down and he didn't laugh at the jokes necessarily. Um, in other words, you just got no feedback. And so it's actually been a, sometimes it's strengthening to our faith when the normal prop have been knocked out, knocked away. And, um, so, you know, the normal metrics of success, the results that you look for, um, you know, whether it's how many were in church or just all the good vibes you get from, you know, watching people respond to whatever you're communicating or sharing, you know, it's gone. But, you know, when the things that sort of provide warm feelings to your faith are removed, then you discover a greater kind of reliance on the Lord. So um, I've done more writing in my journal, and um, that has strengthened my sense of one-on-one -on -one personal communication uh, with Jesus. That has I don't have always have a congregation so visibly in front of me, so the journal um, and the Lord behind the journal becomes that. Um, I think it has strengthened, um, I think, the time I've had with my family, uh, because I think a lot of pastors could testify to this. When you are a pastor, you, you know, your, your connection to your work is almost like no other profession. 
And so sometimes there's a rivalry between the time and the priorities that you place in either direction. So, um, you know, God is, has given me time and priority and just enjoyment, um, you know, with my family, um, at, I think a higher level. And I think that's part of, actually, I think that's directly related to my relationship with Jesus. What is detracted, I probably is, is a spinoff of the same, uh, same thing. It's, uh, It's it's being able to tr- to trust trust the Lord, um, and I think there are times. There have been times early on in the pandemic when I just um, I did feel overwhelmed, um, like I mean the pandemic was one reality. Then, you know, George Floyd is murdered, and there are so many um, expectations. There's there's so much frustration and angst and division, and uh, and you know, if you're an empathetic person, which I am, it's easy to absorb a lot of that. And then um, I found myself quoting the Apostle Paul a lot, you know, whether it's, you know, how do we respond to, uh, you know, racial injustice? How do we respond to the pandemic? How do you guide a congregation through such a divisive election? So I would say the things that would could pull me apart from Jesus were to absorb um, that anxiety, that feeling of inadequacy, and then just to keep that to myself and not turn that into something that opens me up more deeply um, to the Lord, who I do know intellectually is with me even in those times and does not expect me to be Superman. And I am repeatedly reminded by the Lord that when I, when I give what I have of myself, don't try to give what I don't have, but just give what I have. It's plenty. It's good. And, uh, and it's enough. At the moment, what do you think Jesus would say is strengthening your relationship with him? And what is weakening it? Um, strengthening. Uh, I would say, I would say spending more uh, time uh, being uh, being loving to my neighbors and loving to my family. Um, and basically exemplifying what he demonstrated for us. Uh, so yeah, that that aspect. Um, I think what what is weakening. Uh, 
I would say, I would say impatience. Um, when I look at, well, no, let, let me not say impatience. Let me say, let me say skepticism. Because I, I look at, I look at a lot of what's going on in our world today and, um, social, uh, challenges, racial challenges that we're having and, and, uh, political things that are going on and how people who profess Christianity, um, they don't look like, they don't look or, or smell like, or, or, or seem like Jesus. They don't, they don't look like Jesus to me. So that, that I feel is, is weakening because it makes me look at people, it makes me look at things and, uh, and not, not keep my eyes actually on him. So that's, I think that's one that I, I, I have to work on. At the moment, what do you think Jesus would say is strengthening your relationship with him? And what is weakening it? Like the phrase, sort of my relationship with Jesus. Like I don't really think about spirituality that way. Like I think more about like that God, like God is, you know, the Trinity. So God is the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son. Um, and so like I think about like my faith and um, the way that I see myself sort of living out my faith most authentically would be through like, service. Um, I think, I, so I'm a social worker, and I feel like when I read the Social Work Code of Ethics, this is probably really nerdy, but I, I really resonate with like the Social Work Code of Ethics, like sort of as like my theology um, which is like treating people with dignity and respect and, um, you know, supporting self-determination of all people and, you know, carrying out like ethical behavior and, you know, respecting boundaries. I don't know. So I think like when, yeah, when I feel most connected to God or to Jesus, it would be, you know, in, in my work, in my, in my profession, um, and I think also just in connection with other people, because I think God is present through the Holy Spirit, like in, in all of humanity, um, like in all of creation, animals, people. And so I think when we connect with others and we're in connection and, and in relationship, I think that that's where we experience God. Um, we stopped, I stopped going to church for a while, but I realized that like, my experience of God, like without church, I didn't have a, a spiritual relationship. Like I, I didn't feel connected spiritually because I don't really do, like I, I meditate and I do yoga, but I don't really like, I don't know, I don't do a lot of like super spiritual things. And so I realized that like where I see and experience God is through the other people. So, um, so we started going back to church again. Um, and, and I think it's probably just because I'm an extrovert. I often feel more spiritually connected through like singing together, 
Um, but I, at this point, I really like praise, typical like praise and worship songs. Um, they've got a lot of like spiritual trauma linked to them because of the Tuesday night Bible study and like the church that we have left. So I connect a lot more with like hymns, which is what we sing at our church. Um, which is interesting because that's what I grew up with and I hated it. Um, and I thought it was really boring and like, you know, I went away from it for a long time, but coming back as an adult, I think there's a lot more spiritual or theological depth to the words. And it's more about the communal faith. It's not about like, just like personal love relationship. So I guess places where I feel less connected or less, yeah, maybe less connected to God is if I'm, if I have broken relationships, like if there's conflict with other people or there's, yeah, there's like toxicity um, in my life, then like I feel more distance and I feel like a need to sort of work on those, work on those relationships. Thanks so much for listening. If you have any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. And thank you, interviewees, for sharing all those personal stories. If you want to receive interviews like this in the future, along with recipes and artwork, you can subscribe your email address at caferibbit.com. All right. Tschüss. Ciao. Bye-bye.